gentlemen, thank you for joining us for another episode of the Good Trouble Podcast. My name is Gregory Ball. I am the director of production and digital strategy over here at Embrace Boston. And, you know, with Good Trouble, we wanted to have conversations with some of the key people in the Boston area about some of the things that are going on as Boston transforms and grows and builds. And, you know, to that end, I couldn't think of anybody better than today's guest. Um, our guest today is the executive director of the Boston Children's Chorus, Mr. Andreas Holder. How are you doing today, my friend? I'm living the dream. That's what I do every single Oh, well, listen, I'm glad to hear that somebody is living well. I didn't know, I didn't know whether you were hyphenate. I saw a bunch of pictures of you um, um out of the out of the country enjoying your ceremony. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I, I didn't know whether you were hyphenate or not. So I just went with the with the title that I that I knew. But congratulations. No. I'm I'm saying this congratulations. <laughs> I know you just got married. Thank you. Thank you. We are we are overjoyed in um just being able to celebrate um, our love and our union. I mean, we've been together for a long time. Charlie and I have been together. Uh, it'll be 15 years, uh, April 1st. Um, and uh, yeah, we got to celebrate um, just, it feels like it was a lifetime ago, but it was just three weeks ago, um, back home in Panama where I'm from. So had a lot okay. of family there, had a lot of friends fly in. And, you know, I gave people an excuse to escape their winter um, to come and celebrate us and do attack on vacation and that strategy panned out really well we had a lot of folks joining us in the celebration and this is the brilliant thinking that is necessary for a leader <laughs> in your position <laughs> this is the brilliant thinking so and you know you talked about growing you talked about panama and, and going home and i know that you lived in panama until it was about time for you to go to undergrad like kind of tell me the story of how you came from from the beautiful country of Panama all the way up here to the University of Michigan. Like, why would you go from the sun and the and the, the heat to the cold? See, that was that that was part of the strategy, Greg. Like you, you got you gotta frame this whole thing in uh, in understanding that as a as a as a young person um with a you know black uh Afro Latino Caribbean family. Mm -hmm. In the in the country of Panama, where it's hot and muggy all the time, my frame of mind when I was choosing colleges was, well, it's always hot here. My mom will let me turn on the AC because it costs money. So how do I pick a place where I get AC all the time? And Michigan had snow and cold. So I figured, I mean, that's it. Sold. And then I <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was a very strategic choice from day one. Um, okay. no, I, the, the story is, is, is not, I mean, it's not that long. I remember, uh, so I'd played instruments, um, growing up, mm -hmm. uh, and I had attended this summer camp where students from Oberlin college got to go to Panama in their summers to teach in the summer camp that I was, uh, training, at. I was playing the oboe and it must have been my junior year and remember the academic calendar in panama is different than the u.s so our school year is march to december um so i was talking to these people and i'm telling them how you know eager i am to continue my studies in music i i, I was trying to convince my parents they said no you can't go into music you're going to starve um and this is important because i'm going to come back to this in a second mm -hmm. um and uh, i i through all the people that I met that came from Oberlin, they suggested, well, 
you know, why don't you consider this particular uh, area of study? And, and it was sound engineering. So it was just adjacent to music making. And I thought, this is brilliant. I can stay in contact with all my music friends, help them make and publish their music. And uh, I'll stay in the field while at the same time, and this was the key for, for my parents, I, I can, you know, work for the FBI decrypting calls and, you know, CSI level like stuff. I'll just do that stuff to make all the millions and then do music on the side. Um, and then that turned into uh, me exploring Michigan. I applied for fall of 06, did not get in. Um, but being a Taurus, I, I, uh, uh, I just, you know, just keep at it. Um, and moved to Michigan January 1, 2007, like straight from celebrating the new year in Panama to cold, cold, cold with three layers of everything on um, to survive the, the transition in the brutal winter of, of Ann Arbor, Michigan. And that's been, that's it. I mean, the part that comes back is I ended up studying theater design and production. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't study sound engineering. I, I, I was too... Um, worried about life in, in a studio being a little bit too slow for my need for social uh, interaction. Mm -hmm. uh, so my theater design and production background really came to shine. Now, this is where I go back to my parents and tell them, oh, by the way, two years ago, I changed my major and they say to what? And I say to theater, their concern, remember, was that I was going to start if I studied music. Mm -hmm. um, so I had to come prepared. So I showed them the, the rates that uh, Actors' Equity uh, stage managers would make on a Broadway show, and then they were fairly relaxed. I never worked on Broadway um, post-college, but um, I had to build my argument in a, in a steel-clad way to make sure mom and dad were good with it. Listen, I, I understand that, and what you're <laughs> saying echoes the life of so many people with artistic produce, um, with, with artistic uh, a thought process about how they want to live their life. When I think about all my friends that had to, uh, particularly if they did not necessarily come from the uh, a family with ex exorbitant amount of means or whatever like that, Oh man, you had to have an excuse, a reason, and and, oh, yes. and an idea of why you were why you were going this way. You had to you had to give examples and you had to give concrete ones. So I understood that very, very, very well. Oh yeah, PowerPoints and TED Talks all were prepared just in case <laughs> uh, we needed to defend this case. But yeah, it was Absolutely. it was very strategic. So so for you, you know, you you talked about playing instrument. Um, at an early age, what was the value of the arts in, and for you, what was the thing that drew you to it? And what, what has been like the long-term value of it in your, in your life? Cause I know that there's so many people that connect with the arts on a, on a, on a, you know, at a young age and, you know, it, and they're, you're keeping it in your life and it's, you've made it a part of your life all the way through. So what was it about kind of, what was it that drew you to it initially? I think it's it, it's been a journey, and I think the the purpose and the the reason for art staying in my life throughout many different years has just morphed over time. Mm -hmm. I think the initial um, the initial push was really um, admiration. Um, my older sister had gotten into the marching band; she was playing the euphonium. And we're three years apart. So everything that Angie did, I was going to do because she was my older sister and I just needed to be, you know, following in her footsteps. Mm -hmm. um, and then here, here comes the strategy. And I remember Angie was playing the euphonium and I, I 
saw how long, it, you know, the study and the, the, our band was pretty rigorous. Um, uh, Professor Earl Graves, um, may he rest in peace, was very stringent in how many years you had to study and develop your craft before you were allowed into marching band. I said to Angie, Angie, I don't have the patience that you had uh, to just sit and study for this number of months or years. So what instrument does the band not have right now that I should be uh, picking up and seeing if that's fast tracks my application? And that was the oboe. And that's why I ended up playing oboe. Um, it was just about getting to play with Angie faster. Um, so the, the, I love the, I love the way that I can see already the seeds of you being an executive director already <laughs> coming to play because one you have a genuine love for the subject matter that you're connected to to the arts I know like I've seen you you were gracious enough to be a part of our embrace um voices of embrace orchestra for our unveiling celebration <laughs> thank you for that so I know you're your love for music and the arts is genuine, but at the same time, you got a strategy for every situation. <laughs> I love this. You got to prepare. I mean, come on. You got to invest your time wisely. And I then see. just go for it. I see this. This is all the foundational pieces that would come to pass later on <laughs> in life. So I know that you, so you went to Michigan and after at, at Michigan and you, you got into the theater space, but I know that you didn't just stop with just being in theater production. Like you directed pieces, you've you've worked in theater in a variety of different spaces. So kind of tell me tell me about some of your your adventures in that world. Yeah, I mean the the arc has been really rewarding to be in so many different spaces. Um, I started with um, instrumental uh, expressions. I, I played the oboe, played French horn. I was in the drum line for a while. Um, I played guitar for a little bit, very poorly. Um, and that was kind of my high school life. I, I started dabbling in theater um, as a consequence of my involvement in one of the vocal groups in school. Mm -hmm. um, someone, I remember someone looked at me one day and they said, you know, when, when we do the Malcolm X musical, I don't know what they were referencing because I it, one wasn't written at the time, you should play it because you just look, you know, if we just get you the right glasses, you could just be it. And that was when the bug bit where I thought, well, this musical thing, I don't know what it is, but I got to figure out, you know, how to do it. Um, I did a couple shows um, where I acted. I'm not going to tell you the names because Google is, you know, too powerful these days. Wait, wait, you know, you're, trying to keep, you're trying to keep information from my audience, man. This is, you, if they want to be able to look and see you in on stage, you should share. We're fine, go ahead. But there were a couple of musicals that I performed in, in my uh, sophomore, senior years in high school. I remember I directed a show in my high school in my senior year, I convinced them there wasn't a theater program. I just said, listen, this is going to work. Here's how the money works. We're just going to do it. It's going to be great. We we did Grease a musical that I directed. Um, and mind you, this is Panama. So it's like very bizarre choice artistically when I was 18, but fine. Um, and then, yeah, I got into the theater space, performed, directed a show in Panama in 20, 2006. Um, called Bang Bang You're Dead, um, and it was really, um, uh, it was William Master Simone was a play, is a playwright, um, and the show is a reaction to um, gun violence uh, at that time in the States, and a couple of shootings that inspired it, of course, there's been many since then, um, but that show kind of showed me the power of, of, you know, the arts as a means to tell a story and to make change, mm -hmm. um, and that was, you know, I don't know how many years ago, so the bug had, you know, 
it was, it was fully in my, in my being that I was going to do this arts and theater thing. And then when I got to uh, Michigan and understood that, you know, production design and management was a thing, then I fell in love with um, lighting design. Um, I'm not very crafty with my hands, but I can make computers do anything I want. Um, so that's why lighting design appealed to me. And I studied stage management as well. Um, so both of those um, areas of focus, right, stage management is all about supporting the creatives, the director, the actor, and being the anticipator, kind of the platform for them to do their art. Um, that played a huge role into my development as a young professional. Uh, I got my first job with Gala Hispanic Theater. Um, my then boss, who I still love and adore, Rebecca Medrano, um, is the executive director, and she gave me my start as her production manager. Uh, moved from Gala Hispanic Theater two, three years into that job. Um, and went to Arena Stage, which is one of the very, very large uh, theaters in the uh, regional theater movement. Arena was the first uh, integrated acting company back in the 60s. And Zelda Fitandler, which founded the theater, has, you know, a lot of writings about um, the reason uh, for regional theater to exist, right? There's, there's a, the, the community needs to see itself reflected in the stories told on their stages and their communities. Um, so I got to learn a lot about the the professional producing um, in that space. Uh, I was there for three years in their company management team, working directly with the general manager. So I watched the general managers negotiate deals with artists and um, figure out how you know you can keep the organization whole while also making sure artists are having what uh, what they need. Um, and then that role pushed me into. Uh, the Washington Ballet, which performs both at the Kennedy Center and a few Live Nation venues. They partner with Shakespeare Theater Company in DC. And I went from being their artistic operations manager and ended up being their general manager. And in that space, I got to do a whole lot more than I thought. You know, the, the ceiling has just kept rising. And there I learned about labor unions in the arts and, and negotiating CBAs and complex dynamics with, with a you know saturated landscape where, you know. I remember there were a couple of shows the ballet was trying to perform and there was only one stage in town that could fit that show and it was just that multi-year negotiation to just get that one thing to happen that the audience never gets to see but it's like you know the work you're doing for three years for it to just happen so those are the spaces that i got to to be in and and study and learn and and really develop a critical lens on on kind of why the arts and how um, and learning the structures that exist and how to work within them and sometimes circumvent them and work around them or outside of them. Um, so yeah, and now I'm just thrilled to be in Boston. Yeah, and, and then, you know, I know you you came from Washington, Washington to Boston. What was it about taking on leadership at, at the Boston Children's Chorus that kind of made you, you know, leave, leave your life in, in Washington to come all the way up here to another cold space? <laughs> I mean, the cold was just an added bonus, as we have established in the original strategic <laughs> framework, Greg. This was this was a key choice when picking where to live. Um, no, I think, um, I, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I'll say BCC felt like a, a very interesting equation from the outside. Um, I remember getting the call for an interview, and I said, why is this organization looking for someone who has my experience to lead it when we're talking about seven-year-olds singing Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star? Like, I mean, we can, you know, I was simplifying the work um, in a really aggressive way um, that, haha, 
uh, the joke's on me now. Um, <laughs> but I think that the real, the, the first hook that really got me to kind of sit up straight and pay attention was the fact that BCC traveled and travels still now that we are um, emerging from, from this very difficult time. Um, BCC traveled um, all over the world. I mean, BCC has performed in Australia. We've performed in London and Vietnam and the list goes on and on. Um, that was the first hook. And that mm -hmm. was because when I was playing the oboe, when I was doing folk dancing, I got to travel and see the world. Um, I went to Mexico, I visited Costa Rica, visited Colombia, got to go to Spain, got to go to Italy, all through my involvement in the arts, whether it was the oboe or Panamanian folk dancing, which I did all, you know, from K to 12. Uh, in, in Panama, we call it conjunto típico. Um, so I was part of that my whole life and that got me to kind of see the world. And I don't think I would have been the person I was um, without that exposure to the world and understanding your reality is one of so many people that live a very different life with their ups and downs and their joys and sorrows. Um, and I was just really grateful for that opportunity. And when I learned that BCC did that work and in, in showing young people the world, um, whether it be in the rehearsal hall or by physically going somewhere else, I thought, huh, I should pay attention. And that's when I started learning and, and really became in love with the integrated mission of Boston Children's Chorus, that it's not um, art for art's sake, but it's utilizing music as a catalyst, both for conversation, dialogue, um, for understanding and empathy, and to help young people figure out where do you want to lend your voice for the parts of the world where you want to see change. Um, so once I understood all that, it was, it, it could have been in any other city. Um, but if that was the message, I would have, I would have still kind of taken the job. I now, having lived in Boston for two and a half years, really come to understand that a, an institution like BCC, while there are others in, around the world, I think BCC is uniquely positioned in the city of Boston, and I don't think our organization would look the way it does and behave the way it does if it were anywhere else. Mm. So, and so, so explore that with me a little bit because you know you said there are there are similar organizations around the country and around the world. Um, what is it about BCC that that is unique? And for the people that don't know, but you know, explain to them a little bit more about Boston Children's Chorus and the mission um, and the work that you're doing on a daily basis. Sure. Um, so to, to just establish, I'll get to the to the part about our, our peers. Um, but BCC was born out of Hubie Jones's um, drive to improve uh, uh, life outcomes for young people, particularly people of color in the greater Boston region. So Hubie's from Harlem. Um, he moved to, to Boston and became a social activist. Um, really advocating for young people. Um, Hubie now named Uniting Voices, and we can talk about them in a second. Um, and what he saw was something that Boston needed. So uh, Chicago Children's Choir was the seed for what is now Boston Children's Chorus. I, I know that... Um, Boston Children's Chorus, Chicago Children's Chorus, and Young People's Chorus of New York performed together multiple times in the first few years um, when BCC was being born. Um, but the, found, the founding of BCC really puts at the center 
um, less so, you know, the the art for art's sake uh, mission, you know, just making beautiful music uh, at all costs and really kind of sets that aside and says, we're really using music as a tool. Um, and that time was for social integration. And that was the conversation at the time. And Hubie and I have had conversations about how that evolved over time. Um, David Howes, who, who now leads um, Arts Emerson was BCC's executive director up until 2015. And I've had conversations with David about this as well, about how we were born out of this need for integration and social understanding. And as the work has evolved and found out, it really has come to um, take the mantle of uh, uh, quasi-activism. I would say it's social justice, but it, it really is in a way where um, the causes are varied. Um, equity is at the center, um, but we are really thinking deeply about a lot of identity markers, even uh, beyond uh, race and ethnicity, uh, mm -hmm. often with young people. Um, I think, you know, people, it's, it's funny, I, I've been a facilitator for racial equity conversations, and I, I love getting the question, um, which I can never answer as a facilitator, I have to guide people in conversation, um, but I love getting the question of why does racial equity matter? Um, and I think BCC having its roots in racial equity is super huge. And, and the answer to why it matters is, well, if you look at the outcomes of people, no other identity marker has determined what happens in your life with, with more uh, predictability than your race and ethnicity. That is a single identity marker that will determine what kind of spaces you live in, where you live, how your life kind of progresses from point A to point B. That is the single strongest identifier. Um, so being on that platform and having done that work for 20 years and getting to invest and uh, explore with young people the many identity marker, markers that they carry through music and seeing how people that carry those markers um, have been unjustly treated over time and history or today in their classrooms and their communities is really, really powerful. Um, there's a lot of joy in celebrating the identity. It's not all like, oh my God, this is so hard. There is a lot of celebration that we do, but at the same time, we have to reckon with the fact that sometimes it can be really hard. Um, and having those conversations with young people um, is really, really um, fulfilling for us. I'll say of our peers around the country, um, a lot of choral organizations have moved and have adopted equity as a core mission or value uh, for them. But at the time, uh, from what I understand, I'm new to the, to the youth choral world, if you will, um, but uh, our peers in Chicago and in New York were the, the flag bearers for utilizing music as a tool for change. Um, BCC's focus is, is broader and, and we talk about societal change. Um, our friends at Uniting Voices really focus on the individual. Um, they talk about the confidence that singers that engage with Uniting Voices carry. So there's different flavors of where our focus goes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just been fascinating for me to learn in the last two and a half years how powerful uh, all of these organizations have been to transform not just their communities, but the lives of the people that have been touched by the work of the organizations. What's amazing for me though, and as we talk about this, is those are large kind of heady subjects for adults. But you're talking, about, <laughs> you're talking about doing this with with kids, and I know that sometimes kids are smarter than all the adults that are around. How has that been um, navigating that? Because even in even all your work that you've done um, in the arts world, it's a different 
it's everything is there's a different um approach and a different angle when you add in um dealing with children how has that been for you and what has that been like kind of being able to communicate and try to deliver uh services to kids well the first thing i'll say is i i, I am very rarely um dealing with young people directly without an educator present um mm -hmm. bcc employs a lot of people with incredible credentials and experience and expertise mm -hmm. my work is is far more removed from the day-to-day -day, um than most people would 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 assume um so i'll just frame it there because i'll say i think there's a lot of people that have a lot of skill i watch them work and i'm like watching you do this for 15 minutes feels like the workout of an entire month for me like i don't know where you get not just the energy but the ability to redirect and to take that question and build on the concept i mean educators are just seeing the team at bcc work it's just continues to amaze me regardless of you know how long i've seen any single person do that work um but yeah, I mean, it, it can be a very uh, challenging space to 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 occupy when you're having conversations that young people can't have in other spaces. I remember one of my first conversations with Hubie once I moved to Boston. He mentioned, you know, the thing that differentiates BCC for a lot of young people, and, and they'll tell you this themselves. Hubie used to travel with BCC when we went on tours, since he was on our board, um, and he'll say young people would come up to him and say, I don't get to have this conversation at my school. I don't get to have this conversation in any other space other than BCC. Um, and that's why this place is so important and so um, sacred in a way to the people that belong to this um, community. I'll say it, the work really kind of breaks into two different pieces um, mm -hmm. where for the younger children, we're really trying to establish an identity and a, and a, and a language um, for them. So what does it look like for a young person to say, this is who I am, and this is who you are, and we are different in this with these ways, and we're the same in these other ways, and that's amazing. Um, so just getting to define um, who they are as people. I remember uh, when I first came on, on board and started reading all the documentation about how the work gets done, you know, a child being able to say uh, to an adult who's just butchered their name respectfully. Hey, thank you so much for saying my name. It's actually not Andre. My name is Andres. Mm -hmm. Thank you for using it properly, right? That self-advocacy is one of the traits that we want to see in the younger children, that they're able to speak up for themselves, sometimes for others. Um, and as we move along the continuum um, into the, what we call the intermediate choirs and the advanced choirs, then that starts evolving and growing. Right, we know that the self has been established. That there's, we're trying to build that understanding as they're younger. Um, we get them to understand what the world and the environment around them looks like, so they can advocate for others when they see injustice and and, and unfair treatment for other people. And then you get into the issue-based um, conversations once you're in one of the advanced choirs. So the the age dictates how we do the work and what the work um, what the content is. Um, so that we can make sure that we're building a strong foundation um, that people can then continue to build on in their awareness and their own journeys. But at the end, it's with the express uh, goal of having these young people activate as change agents in their in the spaces they'll occupy for the rest of their lives. I mean, but this is, like I said, this is incredible work because like there's adults, again, who don't know how to advocate for themselves. <laughs> 
Um, so the, the ability to kind of open up the space and, and allow them to do that, like, you know, you talked about, about Hubie and, and he's such a men, you know, he's such a mentor to so many key change makers in the city right now, you know, what, what was your relationship? How did that relationship develop? And tell me about like, you know, how he is like, he's, he's special for me because he's one of our 1965. Like he's, mm -hmm, he's mm -hmm. one of our, our freedom plaza members. So he's, you know, he's, he's somebody who's just a super special person, but for the city as a whole. So I, mm -hmm. you know, tell me about your relationship with him. I, Hubie and I have, you know, I, I, there's a lot of people that have been working with him for, for a long time and he's known for a long time. I, I have the distinct honor and privilege of Hubie being, um, not just our founder, and I know you're seeing my camera, the, the, mm -hmm. the viewers, the listeners are not seeing my camera, but um, there's a portrait of Hubie and it's um, right behind me on the wall. Yes. Um, and it's right over my right shoulder. Um, and I put it there intentionally um, as a reminder to always do the right thing. That's one of the rules that my dad taught me to live by. Mm -hmm. um, but my relationship with Hubie is, is a, it doesn't feel like a formal thing. I mean, Hubie has been an advisor, has been a, uh, a, a fellow brainstormer, an encourager. I mean, Hubie has opened so many doors, whether it be by name, by action. Um, and yeah, we, we, we talk and we confer on so many different things. Um, he's been to every single concert that BCC has done since I've been here. Um, and he's just, our biggest cheerleader and um i'm really lucky that he uh has faith in in my leadership um i'm really lucky that he is invested um in the success of this enterprise that he started still you know 20 years in he's still you know paying attention to the landscape and saying hey have you considered this are you aware of this conversation um so it's it i mean it's i don't want to you know kind of talk for him but i consider him a friend and and, and a tr trusted advisor in this work um, at the end of the day is, is his legacy and his impact that I want to make sure um, can really carry on for not just these 20 years, but 20 more and many more 20s after that. He's he's one of those people that I look at as one of the libraries of the city, like when it comes <laughs> to being a, a reservoir of just positive, good information. And like, he he's just one of those people that just has that deep, rich knowledge of, mm -hmm. of the city. And I, you know, Part of part of the conversation that's been going around in the city of Boston um, has been how to make it better. You know, we're always trying to mm -hmm. improve ourselves, and you know, we've seen some incredible strides over the past few years. We've had we've seen Kim Janey take office, and then Michelle Wu take office. We've got a, a city council that's um, primarily uh, folks of color and women. So, I mean, I feel like Boston, and I know people don't don't really kind of understand this i think unless they're here mm -hmm. i think boston is kind of on the precipice of some serious some serious shifting and changing um excuse me more so than than ever before in the in the in recent history um and i think that you know leaders like you are part of that you know and did, did I? I know that I know that's a lot to put on you. You're fresh from, <laughs> no, you're fresh no pressure. Fresh from your honeymoon. That was a lot. Of, a lot to put on you. But uh, when you when you think of your work, do you think of it in terms of where it kind of fits in the in the broader Boston, broader Boston landscape? Yeah, one hundred percent. I I I think I I didn't understand it that way when we first got here. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I want to say I definitely have, I mean, I started this job August, 2020. Um, the move to Boston, I remember um, Charlie, my husband and I were worried about the movers and we've had windows open and masks on. I mean, it was pre-vaccine. So in, in terms of context, um, the survival of the institution was really mission number one um, when I first took the job. But I think I think of BCC, I think there's a, there's a whole larger network that I think I'm going to stay away from and talk about this smaller network that is um, finding places for young people to experience joy, to experience fulfillment, to discover um, their skills and passions, right? Um, and I see BCC being a really strong conduit for young people to discover um, themselves in the world. And, and that really is born out of a place where I know um, what it took for my parents to get an oboe for me to play. Like I haven't played the oboe in 10 years. I tell myself because I don't have reads, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but I know the financial investment that that requires versus uh, an art form, right? Choral group singing that has a much lower barrier for entry for a lot of people. So from an equity perspective, I see BCC being able to play a very key role in getting down on the ground very quick, um, establishing this arts education thing that sometimes can feel very lofty, but really is um, a necessary and what I consider a right um, self-expression uh, through music and art. Um, so I, I see us playing that role of just being the the entry level and the the conduit for a lot of people to discover a whole ecosystem of organizations in this uh, city and region that are doing really amazing work with young people. Um, and that's just that's just on the youth development side, right? For example, um, I just saw um, Jimmy had a couple guests, um, uh, James Hill Hills uh, on. Um, uh, uh, healthcare equity. The next concert that BCC is performing on April 1st is a concert themed after um, uh, health equity. And can, making those connections is that bigger network that I'm talking about. How do we get to that place um, of being not just this, let's focus on young people and their connectivity in this arts landscape, but also in the larger conversations going on in the city that I think has been a challenge um, for me as a leader getting to BCC and seeing how powerful that work is in the rehearsal room and how you know people that come in from the outside have had this pro- program called Listen In where experts got to speak to young people and tell them, hey, here's the actual facts and the basis of this conversation you're having, right? None of our music educators studied pandemics, but we had Dr. Walensky at the time who uh, is uh, uh, the parent of a BCC alum speak to young people at Boston Children's Chorus about, you know, what a pandemic was, how they spread, and a whole bunch of things. Um, so for, from 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 that point of view, I do see a lot of connectivity for BCC to to be present in a lot of larger conversations. But um, for a little while, we won't be there. And I promised myself that I would figure out a very neat way to loop this into this podcast. Um, I see BCC connecting to that larger network of conversations, right? Those people that are talking to James Hills on his podcast about health equity, connecting to BCC in a really powerful way through the hiring of a director of Good Trouble. Mm. I wonder where you got that name. That's 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 wonderful. 
You you know, I you know, I can tell a story. I don't even know if you remember this. No, tell, tell, do tell. Let's let's do, hear it. Well, tell tell me if you remember this conversation, but okay. there was a while ago. I think it was before you took me to Dorchester Brewing Company for my first time there. Yes, that was that was um yes, it was the very first time I think we were all kind of hanging out together. Or we we had I met met you before. I we definitely Uh met on Zoom. Uh Uh-huh. But that was the first time we had been physically in the same room. Yes. Exactly. I can't remember if it was there or the conversation before. And I kept talking. I I I was I was blabbering. I'm I'm prone to blabbering. Um, and I was that's why we get like, along so well because I blabber as well. <laughs> like, we, just keep we talking blab- eventually. We blabber, get there. Together, we blabber together, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I kept telling you, like, I need a person that that does this but not that. Like, they're not doing like DEI work, but they are framing how the institution thinks about equity and they're helping me shape the curriculum, but they're not like a person who's sitting there and saying the the detail of each outcome is this. They're kind of thinking about a big front frame and they're talking to the pub and they're doing this, but not that. And I kept saying all these things that I wanted this person to do. And you just looked at me and you said, you're just trying to get into good trouble. Yeah. And I just <laughs> yeah, I stopped talking I- and I said, yeah, yes, that is it. I'm Yes, I'm trying to get into good trouble. And that's where the name for the role came from. Wow. It was you. What I honestly okay, listen. So to the audience, I honestly I can tell you this with all sincerity. I did not know this before. He, oh yes, he mentioned this. I remember this conversation though. We were at Dorchester Brewing Company. It was yep. myself, you, and Imari. We um went out, and it was a a little while after you had um gotten here because uh-huh. I had my, started. My so sister started, was visiting. My, yes, I remember I was Amber say, was there with us. Was here. Your mm-hmm. sister was here. And you had started at BCC and I had started at um, Embrace in, if you started in August, I had started Mm -hmm. in Embrace that um, December. Mm -hmm. So that's, so when you came on, um, I believe you were coming into the role and somebody connected you and Imari, and he was mm-hmm. like, "Hey, let's—I want you to introduce you to Greg because he just came on, and we just all got—we're getting to know each other." I, that's—I mm-hmm. absolutely remember that. I remember that day because I remember meeting your sister because she had—she was visiting from Panama, right? Uh, no, she, uh, she was visiting was she from out of town, though. Yeah, she was in around town. She at that time she was still living in Pennsylvania, I think. She's living yeah. in North Carolina now. She's going to law school. Okay. I try to get—I try to get her to go to Michigan for law school. She, my sister's brilliant. She mm-hmm. got into both Duke Law, which I'm not even going to say anything about it and let my tone <laughs> of voice be. And she got into Michigan Law. And I said, Amber, you know, the choice is clear. And, and you <laughs> she know. She said, North yeah. Carolina, here I go. <laughs> See, she's the opposite of me. I'm like, give me all the snow. Give me the cold. Amber's like, get me out of here. So she she picked the warmer place. <laughs> and I and I appreciate and support her choice. Oh, wow. That's incredible. So this... this so this role as a director of Good Trouble, you're, so you're, are you still are you looking for somebody for that role? Yeah, so we, I mean, I don't, when this podcast goes live, we might hopefully have a person named, but we are, this week, we're having second round conversations with a few folks. Um, uh, we're very, very excited to talk to them. Um, and then we're going to move into a final round very soon. So it's uh, imminent that they'll be here. And it, I mean, it's, it's we're looking for a unicorn, right? We're looking for someone to, really activate youth voice in ways that we haven't imagined before, but all with a lens of equity that they can guide both the work and the rehearsal, but also the whole framework of the institution at large 
So there's a lot of different skills that are baked in there um, that we're hopeful we get, you know, as many skills as we can for them to build this bridge for this larger network we were talking about. Um, they would be the resource gatherer and the connector between the external world and BCC because they know so deeply how we are integrating music education and social justice pedagogy. Um, so it, I, I'm really excited for this person um, to come on board. Um, it's it, it, This role didn't exist before, by the way, like that conversation that you and I were having was part of the genesis. I had that type of conversation with a lot of people, but you know, now this title will live in infamy thanks or creativity so wow. you'll if you want to endow the role for the rest of your life for the rest of bcc's life we are well <laughs> we're, we welcome your sub financial support okay well, i mean if things yes, work yes, out yes. With my, if things work out with my retirement plan with the mass lottery i got you <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll have to call some people at mass lottery and be like okay let's make sure that this retirement plan works people listen if i can if i can if if my my frequent um uh, frequent investment in Mega Millions tickets. It turns out, <laughs> I got you. Um, but yo, that is incredible, man. And I, I love the idea of of approaching. And I think that's something that's happening a lot in the city. I feel like it's happening. You know, not to pat our back over at Embrace Boston, but I feel like that's happening in some ways with Embrace Boston, the way that we're building our team and some of the ways that we're acting. And I love to see more and more organizations that are not necessarily staying stuck in those old um, kind of ideologies around how to engage and do the work and what those what those roles are like. And just mm -hmm. and also, I love the idea that it's an artistic organization that gives the title, you know, the director of good trouble. Like, I love that idea. So, <laughs> I, I'm, you know, yeah. I'm. I'm happy to hear. I'm happy to hear that this is going for it, and I'm happy to hear I had a little bit, to, a little small, small piece to do do with it, man. But that's great. It it went it went pretty viral on Twitter the day we posted the job. There were people commenting on like, "This is the best title ever." I'm so envious. So <laughs> I mean, you you did some real work for us. So thank you, much appreciated. Listen, and you can help, and you can you got that considering a donation to the cause. Oh, okay. It'll be in-kind services. Yes, yes, yes. Consulting. Yes. That, that, yep. Honestly, I you really shocked me with that because I do remember that conversation <laughs> and I did not know that there was a director of Good Trouble that was directly related to our uh, our having that conversation. That's where it came and that from. Is, that's, you yep. know, it, it's, that's just so cool. Like, And that's the roots of, of this podcast was to talk to people who are getting in that kind of good trouble and mm -hmm. I, you know, and I know we only have a little bit, um, a little bit of time left before we get out of here. But one of the things that I, that I think you're probably uniquely positioned to answer mm. is, um, in the world of the arts, you know, people really kind of look at arts as an add-on or as a nice thing to have, but not necessarily as something that's a requirement. But as we listen to you tell your story of your life and how it's kind of opened up these doors for you, it really has been something that's been essential to, to building the person that you are. Like for you, how important is it for people to understand that arts is not kind of like a, you know, it's not like it's a, it's a condiment, it's the main course. It. I mean, this is a case that we have to make every day, right? There's There's people who, uh, continue to argue for these basic um, skills being the, the focus and the reason why education should, con should continue to exist. I think we're pretty lucky in Boston that we have, you know, despite all the inequities and fun that we see in our public school systems in this region, um, 
there's a higher level understanding than in other parts of the country about the value of the arts vis-a-vis -vis education. And for us, self-expression is not an option. Um, it is it is a, a requirement as an integral part of who you are. And I'll say, when I talk about BCC being a connector and being a, a part of an ecosystem, there's people who might engage with us who will sing with us for three months, maybe a year, and then they go on to explore the next thing that is right for them. Not all of us learn in the same way, be it, be it singing together or dancing or writing or painting. Um, but I, I, I mean, I don't, I'm not in a lot of spaces where I have to make um, the case. I'm, I'm fortunate in that I don't encounter that often, but, um, the outcomes and the research is there. I mean, when you have people, young people engaging with um, arts education, and I'm not talking about exposure, I'm talking about engagement. Um, this this um, framework, Andrea Howard at West End House uh, shared with her, with me, how her team breaks down the activities they plan, right? So they have the, the mm -hmm. exposure bucket. We're gonna take you to this thing for you to see that thing. Um, that's in the exposure bucket. Engagement is you're really deeply involved in it. You're doing it regularly. You're you're honing a craft. You're growing, growing. And the third path for them is the third bucket for them is pathways, um, which is okay. This is now turning into pre-professional thing that you want to study. This you want to kind of do this for a living. Um, BCC is squarely in the in the engagement path, and we have a lot of people that have gone um, down the professional route um, for pathways. But yeah, I. I I, I'm encouraged by all the changes and all the um, work that I see happening at DPS um, with Tony Beatrice and Emmanuel Toledo. Um, I'm encouraged by the work that Edvesters is doing, um, Marinelle and Ruth, and making sure that there's funding um, for performing arts and, and visual arts across the entire BPS um, system. But it it really isn't something that I, I will negotiate. And I encourage parents when I talk to them about, you know, if BCC is not the place for your child, you got to keep that child engaged in some form of artistic self-expression um, because the outcomes are, are borne out by the data. I mean, you see civic engagement rise, um, you see dropout rates um, fall drastically, you see higher achievement in other areas of, of academic achievement when um, young people are engaged in the arts deeply. Um, so the, the, the value is there. Um, um, for me, I think uh, the arts have been a window to the world and have uh, made my life so much more joyful than I think it could have been otherwise. But um, for some people, it might be a life or death situation where an, an arts um, opportunity might um, save a young person from the, the ills of their own mental health challenges or, or illnesses. Um, when they get to actually put what is inside on the outside in whatever way they are skilled and talented and gifted at. Um, it, it, the, it, the arts just have so many roles to play. And I, yeah, I, I guess it's, it's, it's not something that is questioned often in my life. And now I'm sitting here thinking, well, what a blessed life I've lived where I haven't had to fight for this. But um, yeah, I, I think it should be part of every single young person's life and adults. I mean, I've, I've taken up coloring with my mom when I go visit. I'm like, mom, let's just sit down. Here's some markers, here's some coloring pencils. Let's just like color and have fun together. Um, just basic things. Um, that just allow us to feel, you know, more alive, to bring a little more color and more joy into the world. Yeah, I, I always say that the, the arts are the parts that kind of fill in the blanks for, for me about people, like the people that I 
that I love and have the deepest relationships with most of them um, with the exception of family, obviously, because mm-hmm. you kind of, you know, you know, you get drafted into whatever family you're in. <laughs> um, <laughs> but with the exception of them really has come around arts and culture. And th- those have been the relationships that have been the deepest and the realest and that have gone on, whether it's, um, you know, a friend and I both like the same artist and that's how mm-hmm. we struck up our friendship or, you know, I, um, you know, I like the artist and ended up becoming friends with them. And, and you know, and our, we became connected that way. I think, you know, they call it the humanities for a reason because you get to see the person, you get to see people. And I, I think that the work that you're doing with BCC to to help young people kind of start that work and in, in for themselves is incredible, man. And I, and I appreciate you and everything you're bringing to the table. And I'm glad that I was able like to do my little part to help out. Over hey, there. yeah, nice. you're, you're one means, of the early investors. Yes. Yeah, so does that mean <laughs> I get a sweatshirt? Like, the, uh, I think at your giving level, you get a whole like special dinner with the executive director. All right. Yeah, man, that's yeah, good. That's yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> that, but, I'm, my I'm my people will talk to your people. Yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll we'll have that hotel because <laughs> you're fancy, you know. You're a fancy yeah, guy. Well, yeah. no, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> just telling the truth. Just telling so, it like it is. Guy. And and now, ladies and gentlemen, you see why this is one of my friends who I just get on, and we just have the occasion to just talk trash and have a good time. And I and I hope that you were able to to learn from this incredible incredible human being who's sharing so much with us. Andreas, thank you so much for being with me today. And thank you for being a part of Good Trouble, man. Thank you for having me. This is, I mean, meeting you early on in my time here in Boston was just such a gift and, you know, glad to be a part of this conversation. And I'm just in awe of all the people that you've had on the podcast. So it's it's really an honor to, to even be called to have this conversation with you. So thank you for uh, considering me and BCC. And um, yeah, let's all get into some Good Trouble together. Yeah, that is the plan. And the fact that you said that you you stayed in Boston after me and me, that lets you lets you know what type of guy this guy is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, All right, man. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen. We will talk to you again soon, but make sure that between now and the time I see you get into some good trouble. <laughs>